When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan Jehuraja and Bobak Hayeri. Hey everybody, it's the College Football Survivor Show, where we go deep into the season's contenders for the college football playoff. I'm Bobak Hayeri, and I'm joined as always by Shahan Jayaraja, National College Football Writer for CBSSports.com. And as a quick reminder, you can always find us on X at CBS Survivor Show, where you can also participate. A lot of things have happened this past weekend, but most exciting, we're heading to Tuesday, which is going to be the first release of a first college football playoff committee rankings. But before we get to that, let's talk about where we are right now. So, Shehan, first of all, how are you? I'm good. I'll tell you what. I don't do the Survivor show for a little bit, and the temperatures in Texas spiked. Now I've got a, another dang Midwesterner uh, on my podcast, and all of a sudden, it dropped from 90 to 40 over the course of the week. And so we, uh, which like, I, I get it. There's a lot of people from the Midwest, a lot of people from Ohio who maybe are, are legacy fans of this show. I say 40, and you're like, what's the big idea? But we don't get 40 in October in Texas. That's not how this works. So we're trying to adjust to it a little bit. But, you know, I, I do have lots of people telling me, no, nah, that's just football weather. Yeah, no, you, you've upped your Midwest game with me. I'm here in Minnesota. It was in the 20s uh, yesterday. I think we've got snow for Halloween. It's all good. There was a game. I mean, not only that Air Force game was snowy but there were in, at Colorado State, but there was a game in just south of here in Iowa that was a snowball in NAIA. So, yeah, absolutely. That, you, you've, upped your, you've upped your cold tolerance up here. So, yeah, no, this is still this is still good weather. This is still good, proper weather. I mean, we'll see how long the snow lasts. For me, the excitement is talking about in April that we still got snow on the ground. But I know folks want to hear our thoughts here and that we don't want to we want to minimize the amount of 30 second forwards you decide to do as you listen to a podcast. So I'm just going to ask you right now, we've got some teams here. Who's on the chopping block? So let's go ahead and get right into it, right? So the way that this show works is that every single week we are required to vote somebody off the island. And every single week we have an opportunity to add people to the island. And these are our teams that we consider to be college football playoff contenders. As people know, we max out at 12, but we're not required to have 12 at any point. And the other thing, too, we don't have to only remove one from the chopping block in any given week. And I think this is going to be a good example of a week where maybe we consider more than one. So we have three teams up for consideration this week. All three teams that lost this week. First up, and I'll run through all three, we've got the Oklahoma Sooners. The Oklahoma Sooners losing on the road against Kansas. The first time that they've lost against the Kansas Jayhawks since 1997. Now, I will say, this isn't the same thing as losing to Kansas a couple of years ago. But it's also not awesome. It's also not exactly what you want to hear when you think that you're a top six team in the country and a potential college football playoff contender. Oklahoma still only a one loss team, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they belong in our field. Next up, 
We've got the Utah Utes, a team that we voted in pretty easily after they, of course, beat uh, USC 34-32. They followed it up at home by losing their first full-capacity game, so not counting the pandemic season, their first home loss since November of 2018, a 35-6 loss against Oregon. And we knew that they had some offensive issues, but you know, I, I think that maybe this might actually lead into a little bit more of our, an Oregon conversation because they were very impressive in that game. But a 35-6 loss, the second loss of the year, that might be enough. And the third team under consideration to be uh, eliminated from our list, another team that actually beat Utah, that uh, that has a second loss now. And that is Oregon State after going on the road and losing 27-24 to against Arizona. So, what's your vote? Do you have a team that you think out of these three deserves most of all to be let off the island? Boy, I, I'm going to go with Utah as my lead. And it was a close debate in my head between them and, and the Beavs, only because, first of all, Utah lost to the other team. Yep. But second of all, Oregon didn't just snap that streak. They absolutely obliterated that streak. Oregon was in complete command of that game. The defense was in total control. I mean, they held the pig farmer to like two interceptions and no touchdowns. I mean, if anything, it was a quick reality check of, oh, that was just USC, which ain't that great. And and here's a true national championship contender, one that's looked only stronger since the Washington game. And we can't say the same thing for the Huskies. And they completely dominated them. And, and you know, credit to Whittingham. He's got this team uh, playing at a level that is is astonishing for what they had. They lost Cam Rising. They never got him this season. They, they've managed to put together some interesting maneuvers in, in moving a safety to running back and getting some good play out of him. But in the end, you know, cobbled together, it just it's not a national championship caliber team. It's, it's not a playoff caliber team. And as I'm going to have to go with Utah, this was this was their swan song as terms of being a contender. Yeah, I think I think that has to be it. Uh, Utah, obviously, like you said, the way that they lost just unbelievably sort of embarrassing uh, the level to which they lost, the way that they lost at home, the struggles that they had. I'll tell you what, uh, unlike Alex Grinch, Tosh Lupoi was not uh, shocked by the fact that uh, Utah might run some wheel routes with Sione Baki. I guess it's on film now, but I think that uh, that ultimately, I mean, the gap between these teams was just so great. And I don't think that we haven't seen a two loss team ever in the college football playoffs. So that is sort of a de facto elimination in itself. I do think that, you know, I I don't think for our purposes, you know, we, we have a team of up to 12. I, I don't think that two losses is a guarantee is an absolute lock that you're eliminated. I think losing the two that they have in the way that they did is just absolute elimination because they lose by two touchdowns against Oregon state on the road. Now they lose by 29 points, four touchdowns at home in a game that like, Oregon could have written whatever score that they wanted in their column, and they kind of stopped. And so I, I think that it's over for them. So Utah, you're out. We're down to 10 teams at this point, um, you know, to, to touch on the other two. So Oklahoma, look, it, it doesn't feel good. They still have a pathway, of course. They still only have one loss. They still have a win over Texas. I do think that, I do think that they are no longer in control of their own destiny. Because I do think that when you look at their schedule right now, they go on the road to Oklahoma State, and that's that's a good team, but it's not a top 25 team. They get versus West Virginia, at BYU versus TCU, probably Texas, if things 
continue the way that they're looking in a rematch in the Big 12 title game. And so their entire resume would basically be two wins over Texas. That would be their entire resume. So I don't think that that's a lock after what's happened this week. 13-0, that's a lock. 12-1, and I don't think that's a lock. Oregon State, I'm okay with leaving them in at this point because they still have Oregon and Washington on the schedule. So that's what it would take. They'd have to go 11-2, and beat Washington and Oregon, and probably beat Oregon again the next week. That is a wild, unlikely case. I don't, th- but it's not as impossible to me as Utah's case. But I- I'm curious your thoughts. Do you think that this team deserves to be voted off the island? I am. I am quite skeptical of Oregon State at this point. First of all, I just want to give credit to Arizona. They may come up for me at the very end of this show when we start talking about things to look out for, only because Arizona has become. Well, first of all, they are the absolute. Uh, the nightmare of the pack too. They, yeah. They've taken out Wazoo <laughs> and they shellacked them on the road. And then I personally think they may have eliminated Oregon State from being a serious playoff contender only because um, they, they've been able to just handle both teams easily. And with the Beavs, I think two losses is just, it's too much for them. They already they already have the fact that they're always kind of in the shadow of Oregon and Washington with those two teams playing the way they do. I, I don't think they're going to have what it's going to take to to make it through. I could see them having, if they had beat Arizona, if they had then split those two, I think they still had a chance. They still had an opportunity. But with two losses so far, I think they are going to play spoiler at this point. I think they could spoil any team they play from now until the end of the season. They're going to go to probably a great, a decent bowl game. But I, I have serious trouble keeping them in the playoff consideration at this point. I'm a little more favorable towards Oklahoma for the reasons you said. I think Oklahoma still is in it. They need things to fall their way. Um, I'm more hesitant to eliminate them. Um, But obviously, if the Big Ten ends up with Michigan and Ohio State, with one of them only having a single loss, and, you know, we get an SEC champ and Florida State wins out, I really have a hard time fitting Oklahoma into a a four, uh, the, the final four. But I would still put them in there with some help. But Oregon State, I don't think any help will necessarily get them in with two losses, even if they manage to win out. I think they'll just spoil some team and, and have a we'll have a clear cut Pac-12 uh, champ that might go all the way. Yeah. Well, and the fun part is going to be obviously Oregon State. You know, they they get both of those other teams on the schedule. Can Oregon State potentially play spoiler for the entire Pac-12 and potentially still win the Pac-12? That's definitely on the table if uh, if they're able to to shock Oregon in their final game of the year. That would be a lot of fun. But Oregon State, you're not unanimous anymore. You're out of here. So unfortunately, we are down to nine teams, but we will have three others under consideration. So first. I'm going to put Texas, right? Texas was, uh, I believe what it was, one vote away from being in the field last week. And Uh. this week, uh, they have an opportunity to play Kansas State. It's going to be a big game for them. It's a big opportunity. So uh, they're, I believe, coming off of, or no, they come off of a a win over BYU this past week. Um, How are you feeling about them? Do you think that this is a team that deserves to be in our college football playoff conversation well it's kind of a remarkable thing because i don't know if folks noticed because the uh the the blood rivals of utah fbs which of course are utah and byu both lost by the exact same margin (laughs) and they both only managed six points against their opponents but texas i think again they had a convincing win they they handled byu quite easily they just have more talent all over the place but the the burning concern i had last week and what made me hesitant 
was the injury to Quinn Ewers and whether Malik Murphy could step up. I think they did a good job of kind of controlling um, what Murphy had to do, considering it was his first start uh, as an FBS quarterback. You know, he still had two turnovers. Um, one of them was an interception. One of them was a, uh, a lost fumble. But at the same time, I think they were able to keep that game going. What Also, the thing that bugs me is they, they had huge problems in the red zone. They only had two scores and five trips. They're currently 120th in the country in red zone efficiency. But the Longhorns' defense and special teams were absolutely solid. So, K-State K- K- is going to be a real test. The Wildcats are right now actually one of the best teams in red zone defense. So it's always fun when you see these two together. I don't know who's going to start for Texas in that game. That's going to be a huge difference. But if Texas can keep going the way they're going and kind of they're almost like temporary Utah right now, except with more talent across the field, they they can actually manage to cobble together something really strong. I think they will have some opportunity there. I mean, Texas is off. It's got momentum. It's our first 8-0 start since that 2009 season when they went 13-0 before inaugurating the Alabama dynasty in the championship game. Um, so I, I am now leaning towards I'd be willing to include Texas in this conversation, especially with the Oklahoma loss. Yes. Especially with the Oklahoma loss. Because now, if they manage to win out, and again, it would be a solid win if they can get it with K-State, uh, you know, at TCU, Idaho State, Texas Tech, whatever. But then heading into that Big 12 title game, if they can win out, I think they would have a better argument just from the momentum that's building behind the team and with that great resume win over Alabama. That's the important part. They have the win over Alabama. I think a 12-1 and Texas team is, uh, to me, pretty much a lock to, to make the field, especially if they avenge their only loss. And people watch that Texas-Oklahoma game. Obviously, uh, it was kind of a crazy finish down there. And, mm-hmm. you know, the other part, too, is that when you talk about Texas, I think that we need to get out of this idea that they're an offensive team. You know, we have this idea that Steve Sarkeesian's running the team. So we think of it like, oh, a Ryan Day team, a Lincoln Riley team. Like, you know, they're going to put up points and that's what they do. I mean, this is a defensive team that has an offense that's good enough, you know, and defensively. I mean, I, I joked when it happened, they had a punt return for a touchdown by Xavier Worthy early in the game to get 14 points. Uh, and then Malik Murphy finally kind of had his moment and threw a nice pass to A.D. Mitchell. And I was like, all right, that's the throw I've been waiting for from Malik Murphy. And the other thing, too, is I think that getting to 21 points, that's probably the ball game. And not some people being like, ah, oh, 21. You know, obviously, BYU is going to have an out. And I'm like, no, not against this defense. Th- this is a team that if they can get to 25 points, uh, not to get too Iowa with it, but uh, if they can get to 25 points, they have a great opportunity to win every single week uh, just because of the way that that defense is playing. I think they deserve to be in the field. I voted for them last week. So Texas, welcome to our conversation. This is a team up next that I think I would have had a better case for before this last game, and that's Penn State. Penn State went to the limit with Indiana, and they needed a touchdown with a minute 46 left, a 57-yard touchdown, by the way, the first throw down the field by Drew Aller that we've really seen all year. And so just as he chucked it deep, he chucked it deep. He finally chucked it deep. I I guess James Franklin should have been listening to his reporting core who asked uh, slightly confusing questions, but that apparently had some merit to them. And then it ends up being a nine point game because of a safety late because their defense is really good. 
whoo, that's not what I wanted to see in the follow-up to, to Penn State playing Ohio State. They tend to struggle the week after Ohio State because they put so much into that game. But I, I don't know if we didn't have them in last week how we can have a conversation to have them in this week. Yeah, you feel, I mean, Indiana, it was like their Rocky game, like the the the, the team you just don't expect to have a chance. But they saw they're in. You got Penn State after an emotional loss where their offense didn't show up, but their defense seemed to be good. And exactly, you get to the limit with them, and you're a four-touchdown underdog. And, you know, you have the worst run D in the Big Ten, and you manage to corral Nick Singleton and Kate John Allen. And it would have been their first win in Happy Valley. It just wasn't meant to be. And again, there's been a bit of a trend with some of these top teams. Can they manage to to keep it going throughout the season, those letdown games? But after what happened last week, Penn State, it's hard to to give you the benefit of the doubt. We're going to I'm willing to table them until we see a little bit more and how they recover. But, you know, they didn't lose. If they had lost, it would have been complete. I can't even imagine what would have been going on (laughs) with the conversations around James Franklin. But. Indiana gave them their best shot. It wasn't enough, but Penn State, that doesn't really make you make us confident that you're going to be a, a college football playoff contender at this moment. So we're going to, we're going to, I agree. Let's set them to the side. Maybe we'll talk about them again next week. The last one under consideration, a team that's seven and one, Ole Miss. They finally kind of had the performance that we were waiting for them to have against a bad team, making a bad team look bad. 33 to seven against Vanderbilt. Uh, an encouraging performance, not one that necessarily moves me all that much versus uh, kind of how I saw them last week. I do think that Jackson Dart is starting to get better as a passer. I, I think he's becoming a little bit more of a weapon for them. I just don't know if he's becoming a weapon to the level of overcoming some of their deficiencies. Texas A&M this week, I think, will be a good challenge for them. If they're able to put them away and have a like a fairly significant win over Texas A&M, maybe we can get them in the field before Georgia. But for me, it's a no. I actually was having trouble ranking them this week, and I put them higher than I expected. So mm-hmm. I, I think... The fact that the, I mean, yes, they cruised through Vandy as expected, but Vandy's given them problems before, but they were able to just open that game by scoring on five consecutive drives. You know, I, and with Ole Miss, there's always that kind of hesitation, um, you know, because they opened eight and one last season and then lost the fi- final four games. So it's always hard to tell what kind of program they are in the, in the totality of the season. But I'm curious. I mean, that firefight with LSU, yeah, it, it looked decent on that offense. I'm I'm feeling more about them and seeing Quinshawn Judkins kind of start to return to form. We saw a bit of that last week. And that, again, allows Jackson Dart more opportunities to, to throw. I'm, I'm willing to include them at this point. And, uh, and mo- maybe I'm also saying that like a, a proper member of the college football committee, committee if I was one, college football playoff committee, by, uh, by legitimizing the fact that I had to place them somewhere <laughs> and I couldn't figure out any lower place to place them. So all right, well, they've got my vote. All right. It's a split. We'll see next week if they're able to, uh, to change their minds. And again, if they beat Texas A&M convincingly, I think that will be enough to get them in ahead of Georgia because – you know, the reality is, again, a bad performance against Alabama, but beating LSU, even the way that they did, uh, I mean, they haven't had a win like LSU in quite a while, even with the sort of, mm-hmm. you know, not not as good LSU as we maybe thought that they'd be, but still a very good LSU team that should win close to 10 games. So I, I do think the Texas A&M will be a good test. I think that 
in a lot of ways, this is a critical game for both of these programs. You know, Ole Miss to see whether they can ascend to kind of that next level and Texas A&M to kind of show, look, like, look, we are still in the tier two of the SEC at this point. And so uh, I'll be keeping a close eye on that one. But Ole Miss, not this week. So that leaves us with Michigan, Washington, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma, Alabama, Oregon, Missouri, and Texas. And after this yes, break... We will, for the first time this year, as members of this podcast, rank these teams. And we're going to rank them like we're the College Football Playoff Committee. This is going to come out the day of the first rankings. So you'll get our first thoughts at these, and we'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. So here, let's get into this. It's exciting, an opportunity to see where our rankings fall. And again, tonight, if you're listening this Tuesday when it's being released, we're going to hear the College Football Playoff Committee's rankings. But we would rather, we want to take a second to talk about who we think, well, essentially are our top 10 based on the eliminations we just made. So heading into this, well, let's go in reverse order. And Shahan, who, who do you have as your number 10? I have Missouri as my number 10 right now, and I think that they have as good a case of any right now. And if you look at the rankings, they're number 14 in the AP Top 25 that's been uh, released at this point. They have a great win against Kansas State. But, you know, you look at sort of the numbers and the rankings. I I think that Kansas State is a little undervalued by the committee. So I also think that that will maybe cost against them, too, even though I think Kansas State will be a top 15 team by the end of the year. They've got a road win over Kentucky. Their only loss is a crazy game against LSU, who I think we still think pretty highly of. The thing that holds me back a little bit is I don't think that they have necessarily a truly signature sort of performance or win. And, uh, you know, the Kansas State one would probably be the closest to that. But, uh, I mean, I think that people who watch the game, you know, I feel like Kansas State outplayed them for most of the game. But I also think Missouri is a much better team now than they were at that point. I think they figured themselves out a little bit. So still very excited about uh, Missouri. Obviously, they get a big one on Saturday against the Georgia Bulldogs. But I still have them right now as my number 10 team. Yeah, they're, I, I personally have them a little higher. I have them as number eight. But I'm not going to blame them for the bye week. Michigan proved that you could have a much more complicated bye week <laughs> <laughs> without playing on the field. I think we're you, you've put your finger on something interesting. This week, we're going to get a, a good idea about a couple of teams, mostly because we get to see how Kansas State does this weekend against Texas and how Mizzou is going to do against Georgia. Because if they can scrape out any kind of win against Georgia, we're going to be reevaluating Mizzou a whole lot. And if K-State can obviously take out Texas, again, even if a loss to Mizzou, it would put a lot of their, it would put their previous law, uh, their previous signature win in a lot of extra consideration. But right now I look at Mizzou as one of those teams that's got an exceptional offense with Brady Cook, Luther Burden, and et cetera. Good running game and, you know, an, an adequate defense that can keep them in games. Uh, and the only team that managed to, to topple them, as we said, is LSU, which is equally an offensive juggernaut, you know, um, with defense that shows up sometimes for some <laughs> games. So I, I, I agree with that. I, I don't have a problem with that. That's roughly kind of the, the quartile I've got them in myself. And with that said, then if you have Missouri at eight, who do you have at number 10? My number 10 with who we've got now is Oklahoma. I, I think 
I'm a little bit curious about where they are right now. I don't know what happened to them since the Red River rivalry. And we've talked about it a bit. I mean, sure, everyone wants to talk about Kansas, and they certainly earned the win, but Oklahoma nearly lost to UCF the previous week. Dylan Gabriel's doing fine, I think, as a quarterback. You know, he rushed for three touchdowns. He couldn't finish that final drive, but I mean, to avoid the upset, but no team should put their quarterback in that. I mean, yeah, okay, it would have been a great Heisman moment if he had managed to, to bring the Sooners back and win in those final seconds. But as Venables noticed, pardon me, noted in his presser, it's like, oh, you had three turnovers, 11 penalties for 101 yards. It put them in a terrible situation to begin with. And I think, especially Oklahoma and, and Texas already, but I think Oklahoma especially has put blood in the water for those two because we've talked about it before. The rest of the Big 12 would love nothing more than to send those two teams off with losses, as many as possible. And now there's going to be that taste of it is possible. You can knock off Oklahoma. So each and every game moving forward is going to be a challenge for them. And we talked about it. They could. They're not, they're not entirely in control of their own destiny now. I'm, I'm actually thinking the Big 12 of all the conferences is perhaps the least in control at this moment while we have undefeateds and those others. So... That's why I put them at the bottom of my particular list right now. No, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, I have them at number nine, so just uh, one spot ahead of Missouri. For me, it's interesting, right? Because Oklahoma has one of the best wins of the year, obviously beating Texas the way that they did uh, in Red River. But, you know, it's a rivalry game. So I almost feel like whenever I'm evaluating some of these teams, I have to put rivalry games to the side because, you know, they count. And they're part of your resume. But when I'm evaluating what your team is, I mean, Texas was not ready for that game. Texas did not understand. It reminded me so much of 2021 Ohio State-Michigan, where Ohio State just did not understand what Michigan was going to come out and do to them and did not understand the emotion that they were going to play with. And and uh, they did not realize that we have to bring everything, every gun we have to this party. And that's what you know Oklahoma did. Oklahoma knew that they had to come out and try to win this game by any means possible. So putting that to the side for a second, you look at the rest of their resume. The loss to Kansas, which is not like a horrible loss, but it's not a great loss. The UCF performance, again, they went up big and then let them back into it. Defensively, I think they collapsed in a lot of ways. The Iowa State game, 50-20, to 20, probably their second most impressive performance of the year. A lot of that came in the second quarter. They had like an, a crazy second quarter where things kind of compounded for Iowa State. And, you know, other than that, it, it was a good win, but it wasn't necessarily a special win. 20 to 6 against Cincinnati, a lot of offensive problems that week. 28 to 11 versus SMU, a lot of offensive problems that week. I, I just don't feel amazing about where their offense is at. And, and these last two games is the first time that I've had some questions about their defense. They did not look confident kind of coming out there and trying to tackle in space. They, they looked like misdirection was getting to them. And, you know, Oklahoma State this upcoming week, obviously that's going to be another rivalry game where, you know, it's the last one that these two teams will play against each other for a very long time. They're going to have to get up for that game. They have a road trip to BYU that, you know, I don't think BYU is necessarily a team that should beat them on paper, but it's a scary place to play. And then West Virginia at home, TCU at home. All four of these games are games that they will be favored in, but all are a little tricky. And I, I think that I have some serious questions about whether Oklahoma is going to make it through. And by the way, they were gifted the easy schedule in the Big 12 coming into the year and didn't have a big-time non-conference opponent because of the game getting canceled against Georgia. So I don't think that they have a whole lot of leeway. And for that reason, I have them at number nine. 
Yeah, and I just want to say I completely agree about Bedlam. That's going to be a heck of a game because Oklahoma State seems like it's actually getting better as the season runs on, especially after those confusing early weeks. They settle in on a quarterback, and suddenly they're they're really threatening to be an awkward spoiler for the entire conference, which I don't think Gundy has any problems with whatsoever. I think he would love to be the the chaos agent of the Big 12. No, I absolutely agree. With that, what's your number nine? Okay, my number nine at this point, given their eliminations, is actually Texas, which I think is delightful considering we're talking about kind of set aside the rivalry game for a second because, again, there's unexpected antics that go on there. But that signature win with Alabama, and we talked about them earlier in the show, um, I think despite the the question right now with, with Ewers being out, I think overall the team is performing well enough that at this point, particularly with this K-State test, if they can get past it, I think they would have a clear enough road to get to that Big 12 title game. And if they win that rematch, suddenly everyone would be like, see, Texas learned. Texas got better um, and, and was able to get past the issues they'd faced before. I think their story would become a lot more compelling. And I could see the college football playoff committee giving that a lot of credence, again, depending on where some of the other conferences fall. Yeah, I've I've checked a little bit higher. I have them at number seven. I, I think that they're still playing at a pretty high level right now. Again, defensively, I think that they have given themselves a lot of chances. Uh, you know, the the BYU game is whatever, but they dominated Kansas at home. You know, held them to fourteen points. Uh, they played very well against Oklahoma, even though they lost that game. You know, going on the road against a Houston team that wanted to stab you. You know, the one chance that they got, obviously, yeah. they got a little hairy. But, you know, they still also do have the trump card of an Alabama road victory. That's a heck of a win. And so, you know, for me, uh, and, you know, I think that that I can get to my number eight real quick, which is Alabama. I think that Mm -hmm. for me, that is still a trump card when you're talking about Texas versus Alabama straight up. Because I do think that Alabama's gotten better over the course of the year. But I think Texas has too. I, I think that this team is still you know, resume-wise, convincingly in a different spot than what Alabama's at. I think that uh, defensively, they're playing at an incredibly high level. I saw enough from Malik Murphy to feel okay about it. And, you know, one of the things that I hoped would happen is that they'd run the dang ball. And and they started to do Mm -hmm. that a little bit more against BYU to great success. I mean, they should not be a heavy passing team with the amount of talent that they have at running back. And so, you know... Alabama's also had a, you know, again, I mentioned my number eight team to text at number seven. Uh, Alabama had a three-point game against Arkansas. They had a six-point game against Texas A&M. You know, they've had good moments. Obviously, last week against Tennessee was a very good moment. But I don't think that they have a crazy trump card necessarily either over Texas at this point. So for me, I'm willing to give Texas the head-to-head advantage there. That's an interesting call. Because for me, I, I actually ranked Alabama a little higher. I put mm. them at number seven, um, my second one-loss team. I think I'm looking forward to seeing how the LSU game goes. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be interested in how that one is. We've got two teams that have had a week off. Um, it's going to be a fun game of that LSU offense versus the Tides defense. But knowing what I know and, and history being a guy, Saban knows how to coach a team to its strengths. We've watched that, especially after the uh, – the Texas and USF games, it's remarkable. And Alabama's had time to prepare for LSU. So for the Tigers, be afraid, be very afraid. I mean, I could be wrong, but this might be the year. Maybe we're going to see a Burrow-like performance 
out of uh, out of that stud of a QB they have at LSU. But still, I am LSU is strong enough that I don't know who I would put against them, other than perhaps my, my the, the the other one loss team in my list that I favor a lot. And, but because they they are absolutely a dynasty, and it's hard to vote against them. Sure, they didn't win the last two national championships, but any given year, if Alabama were to win out and take out Georgia, I, everyone would be like, oh, here we go again. You know, it may be, it, I, there's a classic, you know, it's one of those memes where there's a picture of a little girl wishing for a pony and the pony just tells her a hard truth, wishes her pony could talk and her <laughs> pony just says a hard truth. And every year we were always putting like, this is Alabama's world and you just live in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new world, man. Uh, that, that, it's a new world. So if I'm not- It's mis- a new world. Oh, yeah. It's a, if I'm not mistaken- we have the same bottom four teams at this point. I have Missouri 10, Oklahoma 9, Alabama 8, Texas 7. You have Oklahoma 10, Missouri 9, Texas 8, Alabama 7. Do I have that correct? That is correct. And so now we... Well, no, yeah, I have Texas 9. I have Texas 9 so, and Oklahoma 10. Sorry, yeah. Texas 9, Missouri 8, Alabama 7. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now we go into the top six. I'm curious, where do you go at number six? I think you have to go with Oregon. Right now, they are by far the hottest one-loss team out there, to the point where I was even debating about where do I put them vis-a-vis Washington right now because they look stronger after that close loss with Washington in a game where some people thought the Ducks played better overall and perhaps had it been on a neutral field and not at Washington, they may have had the edge. Um, And with the Huskies struggling the past two games, it only seems to underline that fact because we saw what the Ducks did to Utah. We've had a a conversation about that. The Utes were known for being physical and the Ducks out-physicaled them. Dan Lanning's team has absolutely been able to to show that game after game. Bo Nix is looking great. He threw for 248 pair of touchdowns. He's got a 70% completion percentage and not against weak opponents. With multiple t- passing touchdowns in nine straight games, he's actually got the longest streak in FBS in the past 20 seasons. And not enough is said about Bucky Irving as a running back. So that combo, that dynamic offense, and that's, that's actually one of the limitations of Washington. It's a bit one-dimensional. You know, with that defense is why Oregon looks absolutely terrifying right now. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they do to finish the season. I mean, they've got Cal, who's been kind of a wild, weird wild card. They've got USC, which is going to be, I am very curious to see how USC does against Oregon. Um, And then, you know, at ASU, again, the desert voodoo is real. Just ask what happened to Oregon State. But then uh, the Civil War, I'm not really sure that's going to be much of a challenge right now. And then heading into that Pac-12 title game, potentially against Washington again. I'm really curious, because then in Vegas... In the dome, that'll be a much more that'll be a very fascinating way to see if we get a rematch there. Because just like what we were talking about with Texas, Oregon, if they are, I mean, really, Oregon's by far is is that even more so? If they can get that rematch and beat Washington, especially if Washington's undefeated, they are absolutely going to be, I think, a shoe in. This is where I'm going to diverge. I actually have Oregon number. Wait, sorry. I have them number five on my list. And the reason that I have them that high, because I actually have Washington number six. So Mm -hmm. I had them number one for a while. But here's my issue is that, you know, Washington's had a couple bad performances in a row. And I, I am very high on Washington. I think that Oregon has looked the part 
of a national championship team over these past couple of weeks. I think that they have looked not just as good, but better than a lot of the teams in front of them. I heavily, heavily, heavily considered putting them ahead of my number four team because I think that they've been that impressive. Obviously, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. beating Utah the way that they did. And, you know, it, to me, the six is less impressive than the 35 was. They moved the ball at will against Utah. This is mm-hmm. a top five rushing up defense in the nation utah was and they ran all over them they did whatever they wanted against that utah defense obviously they had some great performances earlier in the year they beat washington state by two scores you know the colorado game was like the first time that we were like dear god i mean that they could have scored 100 points that game they they could have and maybe should have but uh you know obviously they go on the road and lose at washington a team that i also think is national championship caliber but I just think that Oregon is a more complete team. And I think that, again, Oregon and Oregon's going to probably be one behind Washington because of it. And two, I mean, they might be a little further back than me. But I think that Oregon deserves to be in conversation more with the zero loss teams than the one loss teams at this point, just because of how impressive they've been. And so ultimately, I have them at number five. I like that decision. I mean, I was really on the fence for those same reasons because watching Washington those past couple of games, the Arizona State game I was willing to accept was just a weird aberration where Penix has a bad night and their defense steps up, which I actually heard a commentator say like, oh, Washington doesn't have much of a defense. I'm like, did you not stay up? to <laughs> Tell me you didn't stay up yeah. to watch Arizona State without telling me you yeah. didn't stay up to watch Arizona State. That defense is what literally won the game with a right, big six. Right. Um, but at the same time, watching Stanford, well, first of all, to be credit, like Troy Taylor was a great hire for Stanford. Yeah, and yeah. this for a, a first year head coach, this kind of wildly uneven play is a good thing. It, better than nothing at this point. Yes. I mean, that Colorado comeback, you know, they flop the next week and then they come back and they they really put the fear of everything in the Huskies in a game where, again, they had to uh, <laughs> they had to really they had to really scrap it out. Um and to be fair, Oregon blew out Stanford, but so did USC. So again, it's kind of hard. Uh, we won't go <laughs> you, into that. You kind can't of play the transitive, uh, transitive game <laughs> you in college football, not at all. man. And by the way, uh, but, I, again, this is a playoff show. We're not going to talk about Stanford, but Ashton Daniels, that's Stanford quarterback. He's got something, man. He's, he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, there's a foundation there for for future maybe discussion, and and hopefully <laughs> next season we'll get to have to maybe the, the talk team. of them right maybe the twelve team. <laughs> but man, Washington, the one thing that I agree, I agree, the one issue I've been having with them is that one dimensional offense, mm-hmm. and that's I think what nearly bit them with Arizona State and their schedule moving forward. I mean, we'll see. They first of all, USC isn't. USC isn't great, but they are also they are like the Oklahoma. In my mind, they're like Oklahoma State of the Pac-12. They are out there getting ready to just surprise somebody and not. Even in their so-so years, there'd be a year where where USC would just punch out that the you know when Utah would be having a great year, they'd go into the Coliseum and USC, which would be looking at maybe four losses, would just suddenly become remember their USC and just knock them out. So I think with both. <laughs> with uh, U.S. probably with Oregon and Washington having to play them, it, maybe they'll be the deciding factor in in one of these kind of questions of who's truly the leader. But I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing how the Huskies do in the Coliseum, and if they're going to have a bad day, USC has the firepower to make them. And again, we're going to see them. I mean, again, not to benchmark them, but we're going to see them against Utah themselves. So it's a tough see if they if Washington went out. 
there's going to be no question, not only just being undefeated, but again, their finale is at USC, Utah, at Oregon State, and Wazoo. But I can see that argument. I'm still going to give them the benefit of the head-to-head. I'm still going to give them the benefit of the head-to-head, only because so many teams will have those kind of weird mid-season games where they're kind of not playing at full strength as long as they can get it together when it matters. But I think that's I, – I'm not going to be a huge – I'm not going to argue with you that much about that one. I We're only reversing them slightly yes. based on that. Yes. And so, like you said, I have Oregon at five, Washington at six. You have Washington at five, Oregon at six. For me, the team that I seriously considered – and again, this is not going to be something that I think the committee does – but a team that I seriously considered putting Oregon as a one-loss team ahead of is Ohio State. Wow. So – Okay. Here's here's the thing, and I probably need to take my own advice when it comes to Ohio State. Uh, you know, like I did with Texas, and say I just have to treat this team like a defensive team with some offense. But how many of these games am I allowed before I'm just truly concerned about what Ohio State is? They went down to the wire with Wisconsin, a team that really isn't very good on offense at all, and they couldn't move the ball. They couldn't move the ball. They needed Travion Henderson to bail them out. Notre Dame, that looks every single week like a worse and worse close game than it did early in the year. I mean, Notre Dame has not been able to keep the ball moving offensively. And, uh, you know, defensively, they're very good. But but 17 points and, and 10 for the first 59-59 of the game? I, I don't know. I can't get there on that. And even that. Hey, hey, you know, they were able to stop that Penn State deep ball <laughs> oh, that finally oh. emerged this. Last. Look at that. No, I mean, this is. I do think that I may need to give them the credit that they are a different team with Travion Henderson in the lineup. And if Travion Henderson was in the lineup, maybe they run away from Penn State. And and part of this might just be that I'm too low after these two bad performances on Penn State. And this is still maybe a top 12 team in the country. I, I have them mm-hmm. a little lower than that. I don't know if they're there. Um, but like I, there are just so many cracks right now, I feel like, mm-hmm. in Ohio State's offense. I, they are not going to be able to block good teams uh you know especially at those tackle slots they have not figured out that position and nobody's been able to punish them yet but i'll tell you who will is michigan and Mm -hmm. again similar deal this is also probably to a certain extent measuring ohio state against their goal which is to beat michigan and make the college football playoff and win the big 10 for the first time by the way since 2020 so you know maybe this is me being a unnecessarily harsh them I, i'll repeat for people who weren't around ohio state was my preseason national championship pick they were the team that i thought would come out of this and win the national championship and i've hated what i've seen from kyle mccord i am not pleased with their offensive line uh, their running back depth has been an issue when travion henderson isn't in the lineup mine williams has not been himself this year and you know so all of a sudden you're like, is, is Dallin Hayden going to bail us out? Is, you know, like Chip Trainum? These, these aren't names that I want to be gearing an, an Ohio State title run. And, you know, maybe the answer is just that they have Marvin Harrison Jr. And so it doesn't matter. But I, I am not pleased with what I've seen from this Ohio State team to this point. Uh, it won't matter because their next three games are Rutgers, Michigan State, Minnesota before they play Michigan. But this does not look like a team that can win the national championship at this point. You know, I, I can see where you're coming from on there, but I'm I'm giving them a little more credit, mostly because of their two signature wins. Penn State and Notre Dame are not complete basket cases. It isn't quite like Duke's opening win over Clemson, where you're kind of like, oh, no, that's not the Clemson of old. But at the same time, 
you're right. They are more of a defensive team. Marvin Harrison is a is a star on that offense and one of the best in the nation. I was impressed seeing Trayvon Henderson back and seeing how that opened them up a little bit. I think the question is how you view Kyle McCord. And he isn't C.J. Stroud. I think we all can agree on that, especially not at this stage in his career. You know, he threw two DDs and, and threw two interceptions. But I now I'm wondering, is, is McCord kind of filling a role that we saw with Craig Krenzel in 2002, where, you know, an adequate quarterback, you know, the Buckeyes that year, I remember the 2002 season, you know, they defied expectations and managed to take down one of the most talent-loaded Miami Hurricanes programs that was out there. I mean, we it seemed like we were literally getting ready to just crown Miami that year. But they were able to do it because the Buckeyes had a solid defense and some skill positions like Michael Jack- Jenkins, Chris Gamble, and Maurice Claret with Krenzel just being back there and doing just enough to get them past the post. And right now we've got an Ohio State team that the defense, no one's questioning the quality of their defense. And if you're kind of going towards that old school defense wins championships, I think they have enough to keep them in this game. And I think you're right. We're not going to really get a chance to see how they do. I mean, but look, look at what I'm saying here. I mean, we literally just watched them clean Penn State's clock. And yeah, Wisconsin... I mean, the Big 12, probably the Big 10 West is a complete cluster at this point. Who knows what's going to emerge out of there? It's going to be, are they going to watch? They're going to play Minnesota twice at this rate, you know, (laughs) the way things are going. (laughs) Please, if they manage to beat Michigan. But, uh, you know, it is one of those odd situations where I think we keep moving the goalposts for the Buckeyes a bit. I personally put them as number three because. I think with those two victories they already have, it's hard for me to put them lower. I think they're not right now in my top two, but I think they have a a very strong opportunity to make it all the way through and get into that playoff. But I can see where you're coming from. Your your arguments are very strong, but I personally am putting them as number three. My question is just, I think, ultimately, like, does this team have a a Maurice Claret like does this team have like the that level of defense a Mike Doss AJ Hawk defense I and again like I'm holding them to the bar I guess of winning the national championship and that again that's not the bar the bar is to make the playoff and obviously they are in my top four teams right now um and the other thing too is that you know obviously you know, we have some real questions about Michigan. And honestly, we I think we might have an episode next week where we really dig into Michigan because we don't know a whole lot about them at this point. But I think, you know, ultimately, I don't know. It's uh, Ohio State is hard for me to pick. I feel like the other thing, too, when I watch Ohio State is I, I, I just like see it physically how in his head Ryan Day is about Michigan every single week that like every single week he's trying to be like no we're trying to beat Michigan this week which maybe that's the goal you know last year he didn't do that enough I think I wonder if he uh has overcorrected a little bit but you know I I don't know I'm I'm curious it feels like they want to be physical it feels like they want to be tough but also like they don't block anybody at tackle and I I don't know. I have some questions. I have some questions. I'm, I'm imagining them shipping Rutgers some free jerseys that actually are just Michigan jerseys so they can feel like they're they're stepping up to play it, that game. It might be the move, man. It might be the move. Okay, let, let, let's get a move on. So uh, you mentioned I have Ohio State at four. You have Ohio State at three. Who do you have at four? I have Florida State. Okay. Because I think Florida State overall looks safe. I think Mike Norvell has nulls off to a great start. I mean, they're 8-0 for the first time since 2014 when they only lost in the semifinal. 
And it's a good situation for them, but the problem is I think they're playing with literally no net. There is no safety for them. The rest of the ACC has been a letdown, um, you know, high, you know, possibly highlighted by Clemson's fall to mediocrity. But, you know, Duke isn't as strong as we thought they were going to be. Their finale is going to be at Pitt. Not finale, but their, their final stretch is going to be at Pitt. Miami, which is kind of an unpredictable <laughs> team right now. They've got an FCS game. I, I think they're quite at predictable. Florida. They're just going to kneel out the clock. That's all that, uh, that that's the only thing that you know at this point. They're going to ruin <laughs> their chances. They're going to kneel at some point. You're not even going to know what they're kneeling about. You're just going to be, Miami's going to go out there and kick an onside kick <laughs> in the last point. two seconds of the game for no reason because apparently they're just playing by their own rules. But I, it, it, again, you know, at Florida, I'm not sure what we can even make of the Gators. I don't think they're a serious threat to any of the real challengers this season. And then the ACC championship game, will it be versus Louisville? I'm not sure. But I think the problem is at this point, you know, the, the LSU win is their marquee win. But LSU's got two losses. And unless Nick Saban, you know, Nick Saban could very well tarnish it even more this week and make it look weaker. So... That's wrong. But at the same time, the Florida State defense is really strong. I mean, they've only allowed 14 pass completions over the past two weeks. The last time they did that was 1998, where they also went on a wild run and backed their way into. I still remember when they did that. They backed their way into the BCS title game, the first one in 98 to lose to Tennessee. You know, it, it's fun to always look at these these former versions of these teams that did the same thing and where they ended up. And it always ends up like losing the title game. But um Again, Jordan Travis is a major force with a great supporting cast like Keon Coleman. I I think they can make it through. I at this point they almost seem like they're gonna they're gonna be a little bit like some of those classic you know uh, early 2010s teams that were able to just kind of cruise through. And you were like, I'm not sure who they're actually playing. Um, and will we see them go into a playoff game and get completely walloped by another opponent? I don't know, but they they seem like they're on their track to earning it. But I had to put them at number four only because. I don't give as much to that LSU game only because I have a bad feeling we're about to see LSU get their, well, not necessarily knocked out, but they're probably going to get another loss this weekend, and it's only going to make their resume look a little weaker. Yeah, I mean, the resume is not great. This is, again, where I'm going to probably make some people mad. I have Florida State at number two right now in my rankings because I have Michigan at number three. And to me, these are very similar cases. Because Michigan, I mean, has been the most impressive week-to-week team in the country. There's no question about it. Their best win is against Rutgers. Like, I just can't do anything with that. That means absolutely nothing to me. What a wild statement for Rutgers, I know. though. I mean, if you're Rutgers, like, stand up. It's, be proud. It's like, not even... We actually literally had to say, you are the best win. It's in, Which, by the way, like, it honestly isn't like a... A bad statement either. If you look at our CBS Sports 133 rankings, Rutgers is number 38 right now. That's like that's like legitimately pretty good. But like those are mm-hmm. the cases. Those are the lengths you have to go to to say that Michigan's played anybody. And that's that's just it's too much for me. It's too much. I, I can't have that mean anything. You know, on Veterans Day, they're going to go on the road and play Penn State. Once they do wipe the floor with them, I think it'll be easier to to move them up potentially. It's it's just too much for me. Like, I, I just can't take anything from these games. You mentioned Florida State obviously having a tough schedule. I mean, if you look again at our at our CBS 133 rankings, LSU's number 13 and, and Duke's number 30. It's not awesome, but it's better to me than what Michigan has played at this point. And the other part of it, too, is that they've been similarly dominant. The, the only game that they haven't been really dominant in was that Boston College game. And, you know, they played Clemson close. I think that was a big, again, that's kind of a rivalry game type atmosphere. I don't really 
hold that mm-hmm. against them. Otherwise, I mean, you look over the last three games, 41 to three versus Syracuse, 38 to 20 versus Duke, 41, 16 versus Wake Forest. They've done what they've needed to do. They've dominated these games in every single aspect. And so to me, I, I think just ultimately, I, I have them right now just half a step ahead of Michigan. Uh, I think that, you know, for me, I, I trust Jordan Travis and his receiving core a little bit more right now than I trust J.J. McCarthy. I want to see J.J. McCarthy in high leverage situations, and I don't think I've gotten to see that as yet. And I, I think Florida State's just slightly more dynamic than what Michigan is because I haven't seen Michigan have to be leveraged at any point. And so I have Michigan at number three, Florida State's at number two. You know, it's interesting because with Florida State, I absolutely agree with the Boston College game. I did not hold that against them because I've watched too many of the BC Red Bandana games. <laughs> you are, that's like their supercharger. If maybe, you know, I just want to say, <laughs> EA, if you're hearing this, that would be really amazing if there are superpowers in some of the games. Like, oh, you know, the BC player gets assigned one of their home games being the Red Bandana game, and then like all their stats automatically go up by like 10. Um, also, that would by the be, way, that, that's five that's, and three Boston College, people forget. <laughs> Yeah, they're not all, exactly. They're they're not a bad team this year, but I have watched what they yes, do. I have yes. been at BC. I've been at Alumni Stadium watching them rush the field after they knocked off a top ten USC team. <laughs> I've been there for that. Um, so, and they have the. By the way, they have the oldest fight song in America. We won't get too into that. Sorry, we, they, this is <laughs> too in much. The, BC they're not talk. a playoff contender. <laughs> but all I gotta say is, you know, going back to Michigan, you made me think like. Oh, you and LV, you were one wide receiver drop pass from being their best win. Because, I mean, that was, uh, you know, they they lost to Fred. They only had that one loss to Michigan. Yep, yep. And it was a tough game against Fresno State. One loss Fresno State team, Mountain West Challenger, G5 Challenger for the New York Six spot. And it was a drop pass followed by a pick. That was how that game ended. You know, an end zone drop. So, I mean, I, we're that close to UNLV being one of the best wins for for Michigan. But... Yeah, with Michigan, you know, I might as well. They're my number one. Um, And I think, again, I just think they've been consistent when they've needed to be consistent. I've yet to see a chink in that armor for them. I think, I mean, one of the fascinating things is, you know, we've been talking about it. You know, they've got a Heisman contender at quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. And if he can finish out with, I think, the same kind of performance he's been doing at, particularly with at Penn State, you know, Maryland, yeah, they're not as good as we thought they were for sure. But again, a, a, a good win there, and um, again the Ohio State game, and, and potentially the uh, the Big Twelve champion, probably the Big Ten championship. I think they're strong there. But the thing that I found fascinating is the last time a Michigan quarterback was a finalist for the Heisman. Do you know who it was? A Michigan quarter was it? Finalist for the Heisman. I I because like I'll give you a hint. It was 1986. All right. Well then, no, I don't know. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh was oh the last gosh. Michigan quarterback <laughs> to make become a final. Without that, when I saw that side, I'm like, no way. At this point, I think, it, you know, again, unless something really crazy happens, I think he seems to be at least on the good safe bet for being maybe the fourth or the fifth pick at worst, you know, to be invited to the ceremony. Sure, but sure. When I read that, I mean, like, that's how rare it is to even have a Michigan quarterback this late in the season in the conversation. So, so the one, like you said, I mean, at this point, again, they they haven't done anything wrong to this point. They've done everything right. They've dominated everybody. They haven't even really had a scare at this point. The the one like little piece because we're holding Michigan to a title standard. Like Michigan has not mm-hmm. been 
been there in that conversation. The way that I talked about Ohio State is not usually how we talk about Michigan. Now they're there. So welcome to the party. Uh, They're averaging a full yard less per carry this year than they did last year. Uh, Donovan Edwards had offseason surgery, I believe, on his patella. That sounds right. And he's only averaged 3.2 yards per carry since he's been back. Only 211 yards this year. And... I, I'm not saying that that's troublesome or problematic by any means. Like, I think they'll be fine. I will be curious to see that offensive line, which obviously the last two years has been arguably the best unit in the country. Uh, I, I'm curious to see them when they do play Penn State. Again, Michigan's going to beat Penn State. It's probably going to be mm-hmm. pretty easy, but I'm going to be watching to see, is this a rushing game that has the ability to still create opportunities against a very good Penn State defensive front? I mean, Michigan hasn't had a hundred, has only had 100 yard rusher all year, and it was against Bowling Green. Now, part of that is because they split their carries, but I want to see yeah. them have a real legitimate uh, rushing game where they go off because we haven't really seen that this year. Yeah, they're kind of, I mean, I think, you know, that's where I drew the line between my, my number one was Michigan and my number two is Georgia. Yeah. And I think that was one of the big things for me. While Georgia has looked stellar in the games where they're playing ranked teams, actually, they've only played one that I think about. It was only Kentucky. (laughs) And Kentucky actually ain't really all that great anymore. It turns out maybe. But at the same time, I think of the Auburn game. And I think of the kind of lackadaisical performance against Vandy, which they were were never in question that they were going to win that game. But again, Georgia, you're kind of like, huh. They stepped up with Florida. They absolutely wanted to establish themselves against the Gators. There's no question about that. But I think... Michigan, every game, it's the same. It's either drowning the ferret, as I've said before, or in terms of Michigan State, just obliterating them off the map. They, I mean, and again, to me, that was remarkable given all the 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 height of all the uh, off the field stuff they're dealing with right now with that program. So I think that consistency is where I'm giving them the edge. But again, it's a close question between them. I mean, Georgia. I I can understand. I assume Georgia's your number one based on math as I've been kind of hearing it, um, but. And again, Georgia, again, they, they, were, they can step up ferociously. Uh, and I think they are sometimes unfairly under scrutiny for the last two seasons when they're performing, I think, overall pretty well. Even with Brock Bauer's injury, they look great and without any question against Florida. And Carson Beck, I think, is developing into a fine quarterback. So I can see. I'll let you. I'll let you. I want to hear your thoughts on Georgia, though, because clearly they're your yes. number one. And, and just to go through real quick. So you have Florida State at four. Is it Ohio State three, Georgia two, yeah. Michigan one? Yeah. Okay. So I have Ohio State four, Michigan three, Florida State two, Georgia one. And I think that the one thing, and part of this is that they've been allowed to do this, is that they've had two games against pretty good competition, against Florida and against Kentucky, and they played their best games against those two teams. They beat Kentucky 51 to 13. They dominated Florida 43 to 20 this past weekend in another rivalry game, by the way, one where Florida tried to come out with some stuff, tried to get ahead of things and Georgia just steamrolled them. And the other part that I like too, and what I feel because last week I probably would not have had Georgia number one after losing Brock Bowers. I loved what I saw from that passing game against Florida. It was Everything. It was all over the field. You know, they got Oscar Delp involved that tight end, but it was the receivers. Lad McConkey and Dominic Lovett stepping up and combining for more than 200 yards. And they still had, you know, 171 rushing yards. They still ran for three scores. And, and I think that, you know, with Stetson Bennett, uh, his first year, it felt like they were working around his deficiencies. The second year, they built an offense that fit him better. It feels like Carson Beck from the get-go 
they've been able to create something that really fits his skills at a at a high level. And again, like part of this is because Georgia's had two games that we can kind of judge them at least a little bit against. Florida and, and Kentucky aren't awesome, awesome teams, but they are good teams. And they just turned it to another level. And I think that we're going to also learn more about this team, too, because next week, Missouri, who obviously is in our conversation, the week after that, Ole Miss at Tennessee at Georgia Tech, which suddenly looks like a little bit of a frisky game, at least. Yes. And so I think that at one point we thought, well, this Georgia team might be going in with like one of the worst resumes in college football. It's going to look a little better than that, I think. And we'll actually get to learn something. I don't think this team is as good as its two title teams. But I think that they are still very good. And uh, again, I want you to show up like like beating bad teams by a lot is great. And like it shows what you're supposed to do. But to me, I think that there's a level of when you show up in your biggest games and put forward your best performances, uh, I give that a lot of value. And George has done that to this point. Yeah, I I agree. And I think they're they're fortunate for their resume building that they're going to f- have a pretty solid finale. That Georgia Tech team, though, <laughs> I mean, we North Carolina just got knocked out of any hope by them. And But the thing that was pointed out is Georgia Tech is literally winning every other game. <laughs> and that puts Georgia going into Bobby Dodd Stadium with a serious target on their chest. Of course, I also could very well see the Bulldogs laughing and absolutely obliterating them um so who knows i mean but hey you know they still got the best fight song so good for you so so just if Um, we're tracking that logic okay so win versus north carolina that would mean loss at virginia win at clemson loss versus syracuse and then win at uh, at home against georgia so just just keep an eye on it guys just keep an eye on it rambling wreck is a chaos vehicle (laughs) that's all i gotta say um (laughs) Because then they have like 240 something rushing yards in the final quarter. In the fourth quarter oh, alone. Yeah, so I, insane. they're prob- probably not going to do that against Georgia, if we're being honest. So, no, 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 no. <laughs> so that leaves us with our top 10. So mine Georgia, Florida State, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, Washington, Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Missouri. That leaves you with Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State. Washington, Oregon, Alabama, Missouri, Texas, and Oklahoma. So only some yeah. slight differences. And obviously, again, only 10 teams to look at. And I think that, you know, at this point, so much football left to be played, obviously, uh, that that's going to shake up this list. The Big Ten waited until the month of November to play any football, I think you could say. Like, I, the, the thing that I love about Michigan this season is that I, I heard somebody say, they have just been trying to play as little football as possible. And they're right. Their games are so short. There's so few plays. They're just like, let's let's get this over with, man. We're waiting for the Ohio State game. There's no reason to even try at this point. So we'll be keeping a close eye on them. Again, Michigan plays their first big test on November 11th. Uh, we'll probably have a show next week where we really go deep on Michigan because I think that they're right now the most interesting team in the country and not just for off-field reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two weeks ago, I would have said they're the most interesting team to talk about. And now, boy, did they decide to make sure we pay attention. Not the way you they entirely hoped to have everyone look at them, but we're all looking. Um, and apparently, they were looking at everybody else. So there you go. Um, so I think we're going to just head next to talking about some of the storylines we're going to be watching 
as we head into the first college football playoff committee reveal on Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be on ESPN. So we'll go ahead and take a look at that in a moment. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. And we're back. As Bobak mentioned, tonight, tonight, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, the first college football playoff rankings come out. I believe what we're looking at 6.30 Central Time, 7.30 Eastern Time on ESPN. And I always joke. There's no nothing that the committee can do can hurt me until they release the first rankings and every single time they hurt me. I, I don't know how they do it every single year. I can't wait to see how Boo Corrigan does it this year. NC State's athletic director and the chair of the college football playoff committee. We're each going to pick one thing because we're running long that we're going to be keeping an eye on as they release the rankings tonight. Bobby, why don't you go first? You know, one of the more interesting ideas is every now and again, towards the end, it's always the back of those rankings that you want to pay attention to because that's where they're legitimizing their choices. So would they dare at this stage put a three-loss team to backfill schedule strength? So I looked at all the P5 three-loss teams. You know, you got Duke in the ACC. Big Ten's got Maryland and Wisconsin. Big 12's got West Virginia. SEC's got Florida, Kentucky, and A&M. I couldn't make a strong argument, but in the Pac-12, I really got intrigued by Arizona. They have a pair of good wins where they wiped out the Pac-2, as we talked about. They went on the road and obliterated a number 19 Wazoo team. And then they just won this weekend at home against a number 11 Oregon State. Their losses aren't that huge. They had an OT loss to Mississippi State early in the year, a not awful loss to a ranked Washington team that's obviously undefeated. And then that triple overtime loss at ranked USC before all the wheels came off for the Trojans. They had an injury to their starting quarterback, Jaden Dela, uh, Delora. But now Noah Fafita is actually arguably a, a step up at quarterback. So they appear on the upswing. And I, my first thought is then who does it benefit? Who benefits from throwing Arizona into the back of it? Suddenly, Washington looks a lot better, and to a lesser extent, USC. But, you know, maybe they're going to also include USC to pump up Washington and Oregon. But it's going to be interesting to see. I think they have a compelling argument. If I were going to throw, you know, a number 24, a number 25 in there, it would be Arizona if I'm trying to prove a point about some of the other teams. No, I think it's a great point. Obviously, Arizona has one of the weirdest uh kind of situations and schedules in the country this year just because of the amount of good teams that they play. So that'll be an interesting one to see. And I'll kind of say like on that note too, even some of the two losses, how they end up stacking these teams could be very interesting because, you know, I always go back to 2014, you know, the the time that I was uh, triggered for the first time as a Baylor student by the college football playoff <laughs> committee. Uh, they just kept Minnesota at number 25 forever because they wanted to give TCU and Ohio State a better win. And they just continue to do that. So the, the piece that uh, that I'll kind of jump off with you is also like, I think they have an opportunity to pick. What do we value more? The SEC, the ACC, or the Big 12? And, and I think maybe you throw the Pac-12 into there as well. Because you have Kansas State and Oklahoma State as potential Big 12 teams that are right on the edge. Uh, you know, Kansas State, number 25 in the polls. I, I personally think they should be a little higher than that. Kansas also right there as a two-loss team after beating Oklahoma. With the Pac-12, obviously, you've got USC, you've got UCLA, you've got Utah, you've got Oregon State. 
and with the SEC, you know, how high does Tennessee rise uh, potentially? Are you know, right now they're number nineteen in the AP top twenty-five. Do they potentially end up a little higher now? But I think that it'll be interesting to see how those teams work themselves out. I'm going to take us out of the playoff conversation for one second for my most interesting thing. This is going to be one of the most interesting group of five New Year's Six races that we've ever seen. Because usually it's it's just like the top team from the AAC gets it. That, that's what happens most of the time. It's not quite going to be like that this year. So the teams I'm going to be really interested to watch is we have undefeated Air Force 8-0 at this point. They're number 17 in the AP Top 25. Tulane really close behind, number 21, a potential AAC champion. Uh, they they have an opportunity to, to potentially go 12-1. and one. Their only loss was to Ole Miss, which is a team that I think mm-hmm. will probably be a borderline top 10 team in this first ranking. James Madison is going to get screwed because, uh, unfortunately, they, they, can't rank they, they can't rank them. They're not eligible, so they should be in this conversation, but they're not. Yeah, nonsense. But yeah. And the other team, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't know if this is going to get in. I don't know if this team is going to be able to get in. But Liberty, 8-0 right now in Conference USA. I think that their schedule is just a little bit too far back yeah. uh, to be able to be ranked. And, and, you know, Fresno State is another team that, get, that gets votes right now in the AP Top 25. I think they're probably just on the outside looking in, too. So the way that they end up sorting Liberty, Tulane, Air Force, maybe throw a Fresno State, maybe throw a Toledo, how they rank those teams at the back of the rankings and potentially gives them a line for the New Year's Six Bowl, I think is going to be really interesting. And the other part, too, is that if Air Force and Tulane are really close, like really, really close, I think that Air Force should be looking out because Tulane's going to finish with a much tougher schedule. Yeah. Uh, and, and so potentially that could set up a 12-1 and Tulane taking over 13-0 and Air Force. So it'll be interesting to watch, and I think that we're going to get our first indication on Tuesday night. Yeah, I just want the only thing I wanted to add is Tulane has the added benefit for the committee of pumping up Ole Miss. Yeah. The higher they put yeah. Tulane, the better Ole Miss looks with that win and their only loss for Tulane. Air Force benefits nobody, which is kind of an awkward thing to say because they're their own because their schedule is isn't the greatest either. It's not Liberty bad. And the problem is Liberty struggled with Sam Houston, who has yet to win a game. Well, everybody um, so struggles got, with Sam Houston. Everybody plays him Sam close Houston and wins. Like cursed team. <laughs> they are the cursed team this year. But we, we talked about that last week. I don't get into it. Memphis is Memphis has a puncher's chance to maybe eventually climb back in because it looks like they may have to, to play. But they'd be too lost, so we're not even going to worry about that. At this point, I, I agree. It's really coming down to Air Force and Tulane at this moment. And I would not be surprised if the playoff committee goes a different direction than the AP poll and puts Tulane ahead of Air Force only because of that one loss when they didn't even have Pratt at uh, playing in that game. Yep, yep. No, it'll be interesting for sure. And I mean, again, like this is going to be a really competitive race. I'm going to be interested to see if like an SMU can get into the conversation too. You know, they have two losses. Oh, can I can I talk about SMU really okay, quick? Okay, go for it. So I'm sure a lot of you saw that halftime. It was like 52 to 3. All I thought was... There should be a new rule to spice up the college football playoff where if you score 100, we will not consider one of your losses because then blowouts are going to be exciting. People are going to be like, oh, tune in, tune in. We're going to see if LSU scores 100 on, you know, Vandy, you know, because that'll and suddenly there'll be a one loss team, you know, or something like that. That would spice things up. Let's just let's just put sportsmanship for a side. Let's go to our Cobra Kai roots and, and just go no mercy. 
um, and and really incentivize some insane games because it would just be like D three. D three is fascinating because of how un- unhinged they get because of the matchups are completely chaotic. <laughs> but that was the first time where I'm like, oh my goodness, it looks like we have an FBS team that is gonna. That, well, first of all, Tulsa. Who knows what happened <laughs> over there? I mean, the best thing you can say about Tulsa is uh, apparently Biff Pogie's not going to suit up a bunch of players when Charlotte plays him next because he's so <laughs> upset about how they perform. But, uh, you know, setting that aside, man, that that SMU game, they are theoretically also an outside contender, but ooh, let, let, let's change that rule. Let's have the, the century mark erases a loss. Let's <laughs> let's go for that. Well, Just see how it goes for one season. Well, I, I think that, uh, first of all, it'll be really interesting to see when, like, uh, Michigan and Georgia come out and have the negative losses heading into the uh, into the college football playoff rankings. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, I, I So I actually live, uh, we just moved across Dallas, and now we live, like, kind of close to S, not, not close, but 15 minutes or so from SMU. And you cannot go within five miles of that campus without without seeing an ACC sign. They put them up everywhere. They want everybody to know that they are going to be a member of the ACC. So I was driving through that area uh, right on Friday. So I don't know. Does SMU uh, hanging half a hundred and a half against Tulsa, by the way, after benching their quarterback with four minutes left in the half, uh, does that count as an ACC win? I'll be curious to see. For the money they paid, they had better put those signs everywhere. That's all I got to say. They weren't that. included. If buying, like if I'm buying a Ferrari, included. I'm not debadging it. I want it to say Ferrari. You know, like, I, I don't understand people who debadge cars. It's like you got a supercharged BMW. Let it say it's a supercharged BMW. Don't don't put like some, uh, you know, but yeah, anyway. Man, yeah, I, no. I, I bought Honda 100%. for the reliability. Everybody's going to know that I drive my Honda, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, my goodness. So. Well, we've been going on quite a bit, so maybe we should slowly go ahead and wrap this up. You know, I just wanted to take a second and thank all of you who've listened. I want to thank all of you who've checked this out on Twitter or X at at CFB Survivor Show. You know, for those of you listening, if you get a chance, wherever you're hearing us, drop a review. We love it. You know, it helps us. It helps more people find the show. And remember, if you want to find Shahan's work, you can go to CBSSports.com, where he's I enjoy reading his writing. It's wonderful to be able to talk with him, but I enjoy reading his writing as much as I enjoy talking to him. What are your some of your final thoughts, Jahan? Yeah, it's going to be a really fun time, obviously, to, to get a chance to see the, the rankings drop for the first time on Tuesday. We finally get some big-time matchups this weekend as well. After, you know, last week didn't have on paper the juice. This week has a little bit more juice, and then it sets up another great week after that. So this is the home stretch, baby. We're, we're hitting November. Wednesday's show is going to be, and I don't know, it's going to be, is going to be one heck of a show for me because I'm going to be up very late on Tuesday night and I'm going to be waking up crazy early in the Pacific time zone. So I, my voice might be an octave deeper. Who Trust knows? Me. We'll, we'll see. We'll mention but, that uh, on, on uh, Thursday. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, that's all we have for today. Thanks you all for listening. We'll see what those rankings look like tonight and get back to all y'all on Wednesday on behalf of the college football survivor show thanks for listening the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line